So we're reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 23. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Carl, and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. Thank you for joining with us today. It's wonderful to have you here. It's lovely to see this building filled this morning. 
It's a great day outside. We hope you can stay with us after our time together this morning. Please stay with us. Enjoy perhaps a freshly made cup of iced coffee outside. We're going to probably have a game of cricket running out on the lawn a little later on. And a bit later on, we'll be sharing a barbecue together as well. So if you can stay with us, we'd love to have you here with us today. If you are visiting or if you were invited today by a friend, I can imagine that at some point in the last few days, you might have wondered why we would go to all the effort of starting a new church. I mean, churches haven't really got the best name at the moment or the best rap at the moment. So what, apart from the obvious madness, would cause a group of people like us to start a new church? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, I think if you know us well, you'll know that we are a little bit crazy. This morning, I'd like you to just put that to one side, just for a minute or two. Why would we start a new church? The answer is really, really very simple. We want everyone to know of Jesus. And we want everyone to be growing in their devotion to Him. See, we, that is, uh, those of us who have launched this church, we understand Jesus to be the one who, who makes sense of our lives. It's through Him that we understand this world. He's the one that holds it all together. He brings coherence and meaning and purpose and peace and hope to our lives. We know Him as our Lord wonder this morning, is that how you know Jesus? Perhaps you've never thought about him as your Lord. Maybe you think of Jesus as someone who had some good ideas, but in your mind he's just a bearded, long-haired, sandal-wearing carpenter. Good on the tools and quite a good example for us to follow, but certainly not Lord. That's you today. I'd love you just to listen and read what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is and what he's like. See, Susan read to us from Colossians chapter 1. If you haven't already done so, I'd love you to open your black Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. As Meredith said before, if the shrink wrap's still on it, rip it off, throw it into the aisle. That's the benefit of being here on day one. You get to rip the shrink wrap off and throw it away. Just let it blow up and down the aisle, that's fine. We're looking at page 1,829. And I want to read to you from verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. It says this on page 1829. The Son, and that is Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's no holding back here, is there? the image of the invisible God, the creator, the one who has supremacy in everything. These are wonderful words, aren't they, describing Jesus. They were written by the Apostle Paul to a church 
in a town called Colossae. It wasn't a large town, it wasn't an important town. In today's world, it'd be more like Adelaide than Melbourne or Sydney. It was probably a pretty good place to live. Seems Paul had never been there before, but his good friend Epaphras had. In fact, Epaphras probably lived there. And we don't know exactly why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. The scholar's best guess is that Paul was trying to correct some sort of mistake that the Colossian church had made about the sufficiency of Jesus. But what is clear, isn't it, as we read this letter, is that Paul goes to great lengths to hold up with with clarity the absolute supremacy and the lordship of Jesus. See, these verses that we read here have some of the most important and rich information about who Jesus is and what he's like. I'd just like to step through them with you slowly as we see together what Jesus is like. They begin in verse 15 by saying, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So Paul's telling us here, isn't he, that Jesus created this world, but not only the world, he created the heavens and the earth, the things that are visible and the invisible, and his creation, it exists only through him. You see this repetition throughout this passage, creation is by him and through him. He's the creator. Sometimes I get so used to my patch of the world, I I live very close to here, that I kind of take it for granted. But over the summer break, Meredith and I and the kids, we went up into the high country of Victoria, up into the alpine country. Up there you can see miles The mountains are huge and the rivers run with crystal clear water. It's a wonderful place. On the drive there, we were winding our way on a forest road and then all of a sudden we came out of the forest up onto a ridge and we could see for miles and miles and the view was breathtaking. And Jesus created that. Paul's telling us this because he wants us to praise Jesus as the creator he wants us to see the purpose of creation it's for jesus it's through him and it's by him the next time you go out for a hike i don't know if you do that very often but the the next time you go out for a hike and you get to that lookout at the top of the hill and you stand there admiring the view i'd love you to ask yourself a question is your view of who jesus is is it big enough he created that He was made by him and for him. And he's not just responsible for the physical world, is he? He also created the rulers, the thrones, the powers and the authorities. I find that wonderfully comforting in our world today, knowing that Jesus has created the rulers and the authorities of our world. It's comforting, isn't it? Because the creator is always supreme to the creation. And Paul goes on to say in verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In Jesus all things hold together. I think what Paul is trying to say here is that Jesus is the one who helps us make sense of our lives, our world, our purpose and our reason for being. So he's the unifying aspect 
of this world. Some people say that the world revolves around love or that it's governed by the idea of karma. The Bible tells us that all things hold together in Jesus. You know, if I read this, these verses, I get the image of an egg. Let me tell you why. Piper is one of my daughters. Piper and I have a tradition on cold Saturday afternoons. There's not many of them at the moment, but on cold Saturday afternoons, Piper and I love to make sausage rolls together. We've been working on the ultimate sausage roll recipe for many years now. And what we've learned is that it's no good. You can get the best sausage and the best spices. It's no good if the sausage roll crumbles when you eat it. If you want to make a sausage roll that sticks together and holds together, you've got to egg, add an egg or two to the sausage mixture. And the egg works its way through, and when you cook it, the sausage roll holds together. Paul tells us that Jesus is the sustainer of the world that is intimately involved in it, a bit like an egg through a sausage roll mixture. He's the one who holds it all together. He makes sense of it. He sustains it. He gives it purpose and meaning and direction. In verse 18, we read that Jesus is also the head of the church and that he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What this is really saying is that Jesus is our great hope for the future. That's because Jesus is the first example of what happens for those who are in him, what happens after they die. That's what it means to be the firstborn from among the dead. The first example of life after death. See, the Bible tells us about Jesus' death on the cross and about his glorious resurrection three days later. His resurrection body is the first of what the Bible promises for us who are in him. New resurrection bodies. That's life after death. And so as the creator, the ruler, the sustainer, and the hope of what is to come, Jesus is supreme. And the implications for the Colossian church, well, they're the same as for us today, aren't they? If Jesus is all these things, why would we possibly look anywhere else to make sense of the world or to look for hope? I'd love to ask a question of you today. Is this how you know Jesus? Do you know him as the creator of the worlds? Do you know him as the ruler above all other rulers? Do you know him as the rightful head of the church? Is your view of Jesus big enough? You might have come here today with a slightly different view about who Jesus is. Many of us will think of him as a good teacher, as a great bloke. American poll company, the Gallup Poll, recently surveyed Americans, so they're a bit different, right? But their response to who Jesus is was, uh, he's easy to understand, physically strong, practical, physically attractive, divine rather than human, and accepting rather than demanding. I wonder how you see Jesus. What is your picture of him? We're starting a new church here in Unley today because we want Jesus to be known for who he really is. Supreme in everything. The creator, the ruler, the sustainer, the head of our church and the hope for the future. 
And we also want him to be known as the great reconciler. Let me read on for you in verse 19 from our passage. Paul goes on to say, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you're someone who's not thought all that much about Jesus, I'd love you to give him another look today, not only because he's the supreme creator and the supreme ruler and the true Lord, but look at what he's done. He's brought reconciliation. He's made peace through his death on the cross. Paul goes on to say, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. See, Paul's recognizing here that the reality that without Jesus, the Colossians are separated from God. He says they're alienated from him. It's the same for us today, isn't it? I think many of us will know that kind of instinctively, that, oh, we're good people. Yeah, that's right. But we're not holy and we're not blameless. We don't have to think too hard to recall failures or a rejection of what is right and good. Those things separate us from a holy God. But here's the good news. There are a lot of delightful buts in the Bible, and this is one of them here. Look what it says. But now, but now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, but now God the Father has reconciled the Colossians through the physical death of Jesus. They are no longer alienated, no longer enemies. That's the work of Jesus. It's the work for the Colossians and it's the work for us today. So Jesus' death on the cross has made a way for us to be holy without blemish free from accusation, able to stand before God the Father with absolute confidence. That's the work of Jesus. Reconciliation by him and through him. See, we're a church that wants to be all about Jesus because of these things. If you've not thought about Jesus in in these sorts of ways before, can I encourage you to come back next week as we continue to work our way through this letter to the Colossian church? Or you might like to join us after Easter as we, in a a few small groups, spend an hour or so each week over a few weeks unpacking Jesus' life and his story. For those of you who do already know Jesus in this way, the message of the rest of this letter to the Colossian church is to continue your journey with Jesus. I'd like you to flick over the page to chapter 2 of this letter, verses 6 and 7. See, these two verses, I think, sum up pretty much what Paul is trying to say in this whole letter to the Colossian church. It's verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. It says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So we're a brand new church here. We are being created so that people might get to know Jesus and then continue to live in Him. This passage is sometimes translated a little differently. I've got the words on the screen 
behind me. I just want to read it to you in this slightly different translation. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Now, I include this this morning because I really like the imagery of walking in Jesus. Ever noticed how personal walking is? My younger son, Hamish, is just learning to walk and he's not very good at it yet. Still kind of working out how it all fits together. But you can tell Hamish's mood just by looking at the way he walks. See, if he's happy, he kind of, I don't know quite how he does it, but he kind of throws his tummy out and his shoulders back, and he kind of walks like this. He can't quite do it. But you can tell just by his walk how happy he is. And yet if he's grumpy, his fingers and his knuckles kind of get closer to the ground, and his shoulders slump, and he kind of walks like this, you know. And you can kind of tell. He has a grumpy walk. You can tell his mood from the way he walks. Walking's an intimate thing, isn't it? How many of you think of romances about long walks on a windswept beach with a person who you love? We go for walks with friends and people who we love. But if you look closely at the passage, Paul is not just saying for us to walk with Jesus or live with him but to walk in him, to live in him. What do you think that means, to walk in Jesus? I think it's a bit like putting on a pair of gumboots. I've got a pair of gumboots over here. It's kind of appropriate seeing we're planting a church to have gumboots here today. I want to put them on for you. I'm just going to sit down here and put them on. As I do so, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I was actually born in New Zealand. Please don't hold that against me. And the national dress code for New Zealand definitely involves gumboots. So although most people, when they put on gumboots, they feel a little strange. For me, it's a bit like going home. All right, I've got my gumboots on. I'm actually walking in them rather than by them. So you walk in gumboots rather than with them. Now, strange things, though, aren't they, gumboots? If you've ever worn them, you'll know that they kind of alter the way that you walk. At first, they're a bit kind of clunky. You might even need to change the way in which you make your steps so that you don't fall over. But when you get to a muddy puddle or a river or something like that, you're suddenly really glad of the fact that you've got your gumboots on. I'm going to all the effort of putting these gumboots on because I think they're a wonderful way of explaining what it means to walk in Jesus. See, we are united with him. We are actually part of him. And so by walking in him, we're acknowledging that he is enough. And as we walk in him, we can't turn from the left or the right. And just like wearing Gumboots, that union with Jesus, might feel a little strange at first. Certainly it will cause us to change the way that we live our lives. We'll see that in chapter 3 of this letter. At times it might be hard walking with Jesus or walking in gumboots. But just like you're glad of gumboots when you get to a muddy puddle, walking with Jesus also comes with many joys. Peace, contentment, purpose and great hope for the future. 
See, that's the benefit of being incorporated with Jesus, the creator, the ruler, the sustainer, and the reconciler of the world. See, if you walk in Jesus, you walk your life with all of its trials and difficulties, actually in the footsteps of the one who created this world. And so you do so certain of the hope of what is to come. That one day when you stand before God the Father, because of who you are in Jesus, you'll be seen as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. If we live in Jesus, if we walk in Him, He will change the way we live our lives, certainly. He will shape us so that we become more like Him, yes. That's what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus. A few minutes ago, I asked a rhetorical question, why would we go to all the effort of starting a new church? I said then the answer is simple. We want everyone to get to know this Jesus. And having found him, we want everyone to walk in him, confident of his work in your life, assured of the future hope, knowing with absolute clarity that Jesus alone can present you holy and without blemish before the Father. I'm going to pray for us as, we, as I finish this morning. And I'm going to adapt the prayer that Paul prays in chapter 1 of this letter to the Colossian church. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father God, please fill us with the knowledge of what you want. Please give us wisdom and understanding so that we will be able to lead a life that is worthy of the Lord. May we be pleasing to Jesus in every way. We want to bear fruit in everything that we do, good fruit. So please help us to know you better. Please help us to be strong and patient so that we will never give up in our walk with Jesus. Father God, we give you great thanks that you've saved us from the kingdom of darkness and have brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been set free. Because of him, our sins have been forgiven. And so we praise you for your love, your compassion and your kindness. Amen.